Welcome to the Delivery Diaries with Vanessa Nag. This is a podcast about how families were started. Join us as we hear parents tell us their stories of how their children were delivered, whether that's through birth stories or adoption stories. Listen in as we laugh together, cry together, and learn together. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Delivery Diaries today. If you missed my announcement two weeks ago, I announced that I am now a certified labor doula. Since then, I've also been certified as a postpartum and infant care doula. I am super excited about this new chapter in my life, and I cannot wait to support families in the Dallas Metroplex. All right, so let's move on to today's story. Today, Heather and Richard share the births of their sons. Heather's first pregnancy was a smooth one, and she was induced at 40 weeks. In her second pregnancy, her water broke at 33 weeks. She was put on bed rest and had an induction at 34 weeks. Their son spent two weeks in the NICU, and as Richard said, everything after he was born was best case scenario. Hey guys, welcome to the Delivery Diaries. Hi, thank you for having us. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your family? Sure. My name is Heather Carter. Mine's Richard Carter. We live in the Dallas, Texas area. We have two sons, ages 27 and six months, uh, 27 months and six months. We've got one cat, and we really enjoy taking the kids to the park when we're not in a pandemic. <laughs> we enjoy swimming in the pool and just kind of spending time with family. Perfect. Well, do you want to get into how you found out you were pregnant with your first? Sure. So... It took about two years. I had been diagnosed with PCOS in 2013. And when we first started trying, we really wanted as minimal intervention as possible. So we kind of worked our way through conservative options such as diet change and metformin. Um, But I was approaching my annual exam date and I knew we would be discussing next steps. So they went ahead and prescribed me medroxyprogesterone to kickstart a cycle so that we could either begin with Clomid or Fremara. And I got pregnant on the medication. (laughs) The night I found out I was pregnant, Richard was actually leaving the next morning to go to Tucson, Arizona for like a two or three week work trip. Um, So it was a bit of a whirlwind. (laughs) At the time, we were both working full-time, and we were both in school full-time. He was working on his master's. I was working on my doctorate. Pregnancy was normal, you know, all your typical cravings for things. Um, Craved cold apples, of all things, with my first. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we carried him to full-term and decided to go ahead and induce at 40 weeks. It was a relatively smooth labor. Uh, I only pushed for like 45 minutes, um, but I did tear fairly bad. And then I hemorrhaged quite a bit. Um, But he was a large baby. He was just barely under nine pounds. So that kind of assumed that that was going to happen. Um, The crazy part was, is about three months before my due date, Richard had come home and shared that it was about time that he started looking for a new job (laughs) because the program he was working on was being moved to a different location and they were slowly um, decreasing the workforce on it. And so for, you know, 
job security and financial security, we thought it was best that we started looking around. Um, six weeks before my due date, he accepted an offer in the Dallas area. Where were you guys living at the time? Waco, Texas. So we had all of that going on. I was trying to get all of my classwork done ahead of time so that I didn't have to take um, incompletes <laughs> for the spring semester. I also was in my residency year of my doctoral program. So I had a trip to Washington, D.C. that was kind of the capstone to that that was coming up in July. I had to put in a notice at my job. So I essentially went out on FMLA and then I went back <laughs> right after the trip to D.C. and put in two weeks to finish out my job there. And then we were up in Dallas. Um, but in the meantime, you know, he had to start his job a month after Alex was born. So I was down in Waco by myself with a newborn trying to sell the house trying to finish school. He's in school, driving back and forth to be able to come help out on weekends. So it was a bit of a relief um, that we were able to get things wrapped up and moved before I had to go back to work. So it, it was a bit stressful. So, um, you know, fast forward a couple years and we decided we wanted to try for a second um, we knew that we would probably have to jump to the Famara or Clomid option right out the gate if, instead of trying to go the conservative route since it didn't really work the first time. So I had an appointment with my OB. She cleared me and said, you're good to go. Wrote me a prescription for medroxyprogesterone again, as well as Famara. I, f- I filled both. Then we left to go on basically a two-week vacation, uh, a week to visit his family in Buffalo, New York, and then a week over in Rhode Island for my cousin's wedding. Well, apparently I got pregnant again with medroxyprogesterone. I found out I was pregnant the day of my cousin's wedding. Um, It was a bit of a surprise. You know, everything progressed normally until like my 32nd, 33rd week. Um, The only symptom that was different was I had a lot of sciatica pain, especially on my right side. But other than that, you know, I was feeling really good, but I started having weird episodes of some dizziness and fatigue. And one day I even had blurred vision. And so I called my OB and she said I needed to go in to be seen in labor and delivery. And they have their own emergency room at the hospital I delivered at. She thought it might be preeclampsia. Um, I was monitored for a couple, three hours. Um, everything seemed normal. I mean, they were taking my blood pressure like every 10 minutes and I was discharged. So fast forward two days from that, um, that Saturday, my college roommate actually lives down the road from us. And she brought two of her three girls over for a play date. We had just sat down to catch up when I felt this consistent trickle. And I said, Brittany, I think I'm peeing myself. (laughs) And I ran to the toilet. (laughs) Can you please watch the kids? And so as I'm describing things to her, she starts Googling what this could be. And she said, Heather, I think your water broke. And I said, no, it can't. It's too early. It can't be my water. There's got to be something else going on. So anyways, um, I'll kind of let Richard talk because he had left during this time to go run an errand. 
And I hadn't even called him yet. I was ended up calling the OB on call um, after hours because it was a weekend and was trying to get a hold of them when he ended up walking in the door. Yeah, so I had gone and went and got a haircut. Um, and when I got back, they were kind of like excited upstairs and uh, basically said that Heather was saying that her water had broke. So I thought they were joking. Um, and then she, uh, she's like, no, no, it's for real. And then, and then I think it was her doctor called, uh, and started talking to her and I, and then that's when I kind of realized it was serious. And then, you know, then all the emotions start flooding cause you know, it's, it's still way too early for, you know, going into labor. So, and then, as you know, going through this uh, a time before, so you're kind of aware of what this means to the child and, and, and the risk you're in. So it kind of started the whirlwind of that, that mm-hmm. whole, the next second birth, which is, was much to me, much harder emotionally than the first one. So, yeah. So thankfully, you know, I look back on it and I'm so glad that she was there because it meant that we could leave immediately. It was actually her oldest daughter's birthday and they were supposed to go out to dinner that night but she had explained things to her oldest and she's old enough to know, you know, when something's not right. And so she agreed to help her mom take care of our son, Alex, that evening um, and just kind of play with him and help, you know, make sure that he was having a fun time while we had to leave. So that bought me some time um, and some sense of security, knowing that someone was there until I could get a hold of my sister because she actually lives um, close to downtown. Um, but she was out in the countryside <laughs> with with someone. I don't know who she just said, I'm like an hour away. It's going to take a little bit. And so she was kind of um, anxious <laughs> to know what was going on. So I just told her, we're going to the hospital. I'll call you. If you can just get to the house, that'd be great. So she hurried as fast as she could and ended up trading out with Brittany and that all worked out. But when we got to the hospital, it didn't take long. They ran um, this test to confirm if my water had broken. And as the nurse was talking to me, she said, well, sometimes the results come back fairly quick on the, it was like a little strip that they test on the water or the fluids. And she said, yep, it's positive. Um, but she had told me prior to that she was not comfortable releasing me, um, even if it came back negative until the OB saw me. So at that point, you know, my heart's starting to pound. Um, I know that, you know, 34 weekers, 33 weekers, they, they can survive, but usually there's, um, a great variance of intervention that's necessary to, um, help them sustain and to grow, Um, and I had no idea what we were looking at. So anyways, they, the on-call doctor came in, um, did an ultrasound to see how he was doing, checked my amniotic levels. They determined that they were really low, but I was assured that I would continue to create fluid. Um, and so they would continue to keep me pregnant as long as my body would let me. So they started me on medications um, to prevent contractions as well as antibiotics to prevent an infection. Um, I had to stay in the labor and delivery emergency room overnight, hooked up to everything, um, which was so inconvenient because every time you need to pee or, you know, change what's going on down there to catch the fluid that's continually leaking was you know, I, I felt really bad for my nurse that night. She really, she really worked for her salary that well, evening. They were, still com- they were still coming in every couple of minutes anyway. Yeah, they were still, 
And and Ben was not cooperating on the monitor. He kept moving away. And so anytime he's off the monitor for a certain period of time, they have to come back in and readjust it. So needless to say, no one got any sleep that night. But the next morning, um, the on-call OB came in again, checked me out. I had not started contractions. I was showing no signs of infection at, at that point. So they um, felt comfortable releasing me over to antepartum until I could be seen by a high-risk specialist Monday morning. So we went over there. I got um, unhooked from a lot of the stuff and was at least given bathroom privileges. Other than that, I had to stay in bed. Um, so Sunday was fairly uneventful. Thank goodness. Um, Monday morning. Well, Sunday, I, didn't I, uh, I damaged our other son. <laughs> That's right. Or was it Monday morning? I can't remember. Okay. It, it was, was either Sunday. Sunday or Monday. Richard went back to relieve my sister. I think it was Monday morning cause she had to work from home that day. Yeah. So he went back to relieve her for a few hours and he had him, he was trying to bathe him. And he fell and he hit his head and cracked it open right in the middle of his forehead in between his two eyebrows. Oh, and no. Split right in the thing. So so right away, I didn't think he needed stitches, but then it kind of swelled up a little bit and started bleeding more and more. So I'm like freaking out. So I had to go get care and pull her away from uh, her work. And then we rushed him over to the ER because we weren't sure he was going to need stitches and everything. Uh, luckily he didn't need stitches. They just were able to glue it back together. Um, but he still has a scar there now kind of looks, it's starting to get better, but it's been pretty bad up until now. That was Monday on top of, you know, that, so that happened after, um, the appointment with the, the high risk OB, he came in first thing at like seven 30. So it was like a lot happening that day, but the high risk basically did an ultrasound told me, you know, what they were estimating his weight to be. Um, just over five pounds and that my low, my low, my levels did not look high enough to con- sustain pregnancy much longer. Um, so he was recommending that I deliver by the end of the week, or if my body went into labor on its own, he did not want us to take any other preventative measures, um, to stop it. So that afternoon, you know, he's in a panic trying to take care of Alex. So I'm fielding phone calls from, family and friends asking what's going on, how I was doing, how the baby was doing. And then he's calling me and FaceTiming me about Alex. And there's just, you know, <laughs> Alex is upset, obviously, because, you know, it hurt. And then he's a champ. He, yeah, he's a champ. But and then my OB called and said, Heather, we're scheduling you for an induction on Wednesday. So, OK, here we go. So. We just stayed on bed rest until then. And then Tuesday evening, we ordered in a nice dinner and just started kind of discussing what it was going to be to become parents again and everything that had happened up to that point and how thankful we were that, you know, my body seemed to be responding to things to give us at least a few more days to let um, Ben continue to grow. But uh, I thought I was getting taken over to labor and delivery Wednesday morning. <laughs> Apparently not. They came, they showed up at eight o'clock and I'm like, hi. And they're like, we're here to take you. I said, take me where? <laughs> they said to labor and delivery. We're going to start your induction process. I said, oh, okay. Um so apparently my OB, she had mentioned something about doing some sort of medication to try to ripen my cervix for the induction process. Um, I didn't realize it was starting that night. 
So anyways, they got me over there. They got me hooked up to everything. Um, I had to get a new IV inserted. That was um, the most terrible thing ever. <laughs> um, it took them like three tries because they kept blowing a valve. Um, if you've never had a valve blown, it is super pain- painful. <laughs> um, Richard's just over there laying on the couch. He can't look. I'm rithering in pain. <laughs> so they finally get everything taken care of. And next morning, I was like, I don't remember. It was like eight or nine o'clock. They finally started pito- Pitosa and I progressed slowly. Um, but it was all back labor, like all back labor. Um, I had had an epidural with Alex. Um, and so I knew that I would probably want one again. Um, but there was, I don't want to say a confusion. So they had increased my Pitocin at one point after they broke my water with Alex and it had kickstarted uh, contraction so intense that, you know, being a first time mom, I had no clue what to expect. I just knew, okay, if they're that intense right now, there's no way I can handle this when I'm pushing. So I had asked for an epidural and they had already put in the order when um, the nurse came back in and Richard describes the the machine uh, that you're hooked up to that measures your contractions. He kept calling it a A Richter machine, a Richter scale. (laughs) (laughs) He said, she's bouncing on the Richter scale like crazy. (laughs) And so the nurse took one look at it and she said, yeah, your Pitocin's a bit too high. We're going to have to back it off. You're having contractions like you would in um, transitional labor. Like, uh, yeah. So they backed it off. And once they did, I was fine. But she asked me, she's like, do you want to keep the epidural order in? I said, yeah, I might as well. Um, so this time I really wanted to wait as long as possible because, you know, the longer you have an epidural, I just felt like it took me a while to come off of the epidural. And then I had had some back issues uh, for a few months after the not delivery. To, not to mention that first time you had the epidural, you got really sick. Oh yeah, I got really sick off the epidural too. So, oh no, um, uh, I was vomiting. <laughs> that was not fun. So we wanted to avoid that. Um, so anyway, I made it till about one o'clock. The back labor was so intense, I just couldn't. I couldn't take it anymore. And so they finally they came in and gave me the epidural. And at three p.m., my nurse called it. She said I was fully dilated. So they called in the NICU team um, and my OB who was delivering a baby next door and couldn't come in. Oh no. (laughs) So I was told you're going to have to wait. Um, but even though I'd had the epidural, like I could still feel everything that was going on. The ring of fires, they describe everything. Um, it was a little more dulled of a version, but it was super painful. Um, and I was like, I need to push. I need to push. I've got like, this baby's going to fall out of me. But if we don't get going, it took 45 minutes. (laughs) 45 minutes for my OB to come in. I'm having to sit there and not push. Oh, the nurse, no. The nurse tried to do the best she could um, and try and hold her off. But, you know, she was, Heather was like, I need to go. I need to go. And the nurse was like, no, we can't. I can't be the one that delivers and not permitted. And then it was just kind of like a back and forth. And Heather, Heather was holding out so much. So it was, it was rough. So finally, my OB makes it in. The NICU team assembles pretty quickly. I literally pushed twice at half power and he was out. (laughs) So he was ready. He was, he was there. My OB like, you know, took a look. She's like, yep, he's, he's right there. Just push it like half power and he'll, he'll come right out. He was crowning already. He's already. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wasn't lying when I said this baby was going <laughs> to fall out of me if they didn't hurry. Um, so anyways, they checked him over. He actually cried immediately. They had um, early on those first two days that I was in the hospital, they had done the steroid injections to help with his lungs. Um, and so he did really well. He didn't have to have any intervention with breathing or anything. Um, he had some blood sugar issues, so they had to hard stick him with an IV. And that was really hard for me to see him with this uh, hard stick of an IV in his tiny little hand. Um, he ended up weighing five pounds, six ounces. So he was still rather small, especially compared to my first, who was almost basically nine pounds. Um, other than that, he was doing really well. So he went to the part of the NICU um, for you know, more sickly babies um, that needed more intervention. And he stayed there for about 24 hours. And then the next day we went down to visit and they were already transferring him to the other part of the NICU um, for more stable babies. So that was really, really good news for us. But we knew we had a, a ways to go. They did have to do an NG tube um, and he was labeled as a feeder grower. <laughs> Um, and he claimed feeder grower status for about two weeks before he was discharged to come home. So in the meantime, my mom had come down to watch Alex. Richard decided or we decided it was best for him to go back to work because he gets three weeks of paternity leave at his current job. And so we wanted to be able to use that once Ben finally came home from the hospital so those two weeks I spent bouncing back and forth between spending time with Alex and trying to get down to the NICU to be able to spend time and do skin to skin with Ben. Uh, I think that was probably the hardest for me when we left the hospital. I bawled my eyes out because I was still trying to process the fact that I'd had a baby, but I wasn't coming home with my baby. I was leaving him at the hospital and... You know, it was it was just not quite how we f- expected it to go, envisioned it to go. I mean, all was well at the end of the day, and we look back on it, and we're thankful that we had such an amazing team of and support system. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite emotional. And how long was he in the NICU? Two weeks. Two weeks exactly. He came. So you were thirty three weeks when you had him, right? I was 34 weeks exactly. They induced me at the 34-week mark. She started at the 33-week mark and then made it to 34. Yeah. So we were in there six days, I think. They had prepared me that he may need, you know, breathing intervention. um, And, you know, he may not have the ability to regulate his own temperature. So he may have to be on a bed warmer for a while. They, They had prepared me for a lot. So I think it was maybe... That Sunday or Monday, they had taken me down to the NICU and given me a tour and talked me through everything that we could possibly expect. So it was helpful to know, but it was very, uh, it was a lot of anxiety going into it, not knowing, um, you know. Yeah, we, we kind of, uh, you know, it was a worst case scenario going prematurely, but. Uh, everything that happened after that was all best case scenarios. So he, you know, he came out healthy, cried right away and faster than our full term son did. It was instantaneous as he came out. Um, and then everything after that was all best case scenarios. So it was kind of, kind of reassuring, um, after going through the emotions, everything, and then 
having everything kind of go positively after that kind of kind of made everything feel a little bit better. For sure. And so how was your postpartum with a preemie baby and then also having your toddler at home? So postpartum this time around, I actually felt a lot better, (laughs) which was surprising because of how anxious I felt throughout that last week of pregnancy. Um, Obviously, it was emotional to leave him there and it was hard going back and forth. But eventually we kind of got into a routine and I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I saw him making games. And so that was a lot more reassuring. Um, This time going into it, um, I knew that we were going to have to formula feed. I was unable to breastfeed. And the first, when I had had my first son, the entire pregnancy, I thought I was going to breastfeed. I had prepared to breastfeed. I wanted to breastfeed. And then it just didn't happen. (laughs) Um, I couldn't produce and I couldn't keep up with him. And that was devastating. And just dealing with the wear and tear on your body from labor and delivery and, you know, everything that we had going on the first time with school, with the move, with the job, with going from not having children to all of a sudden having a newborn and then essentially being a single parent for six weeks. It was really stressful. And I would say I didn't, my OB never diagnosed me with postpartum depression, but there were definitely times where I felt like, I could have been an ideal candidate of postpartum depression. So the second time around, I had a bit of a different perspective and I felt like I dealt with things a lot easier, um, regardless of everything, you know, that had happened. Um, I was just thankful and appreciative and, and happy despite the lack of sleep. And so if you had any bits of wisdom or any advice for mothers, what would that be? Just expect the unexpected. You know, you can have a plan, but that plan isn't always going to go accordingly. And when it doesn't, I'm a planner. (laughs) I'm the organized one. And so it was really hard to be able to let go. So just figure out what makes you happy, what helps relax you. And when you start feeling things going into a different direction, try to rely on those things to help keep you calm and just, you know, put yourself first. I know it's really hard, but, you know, when you have a screaming baby and a toddler running around, if you need to eat something, go eat something. If you need water, if you need a minute to yourself, go to the bathroom and pee. Right. Um, you know, just it'll all be okay. Yes. Such good advice. And what about you, Richard? If you had to give any advice to partners, what would that be? I mean, uh, I guess what I try to do through through uh, supporting because you know the the father doesn't have a, a huge role in the giving birth apparatus. So, I mean, my whole thing was to be Johnny on the spot if she needed anything or a doctor needed anything or help or whatever. You know, offer help. Other than that, I was just kind of trying to be a fly on the wall, be as far as far as way of all the action and not in the way. So, you know. So it was kind of hard trying to balance the those two. So you know, if your your whole goal is to support your wife and and uh, stay out of the way of the doctor, so I mean, that's that's the two big things. And then other than that, it's just enjoy everything because uh, when they both came out and they both cried, it's it's uh it's it's pretty amazing. And uh, I mean, you kind of you kind of just feel like you know they're they're such an important part of your life instantly. So um, just enjoy it. 
Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your stories tonight. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Delivery Diaries. If you are loving The Delivery Diaries birth and adoption stories, it would mean so much if you could leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, head over to at The Delivery Diaries on Instagram and Facebook.